doesn't no you're not hello we're back um we'd like to start this episode by thanking you for the overwhelming support and the emails that we've been getting in abundance one particular email that we both picked out was the suggestion to discuss the most influential economists in history um so we're going to start straight away liam's uh, been reading up on aristotle yeah so so for our discussion and investigation into the most influential economist on the modern day economics and modern day society i thought we should start from the very beginning so um i had a look into the greeks and what i found interesting was aristotle someone a name that is quite commonplace and a lot of people have heard of him um he's so he is the first person well-known person who realized that this old system which in the um ancient ages of bartering and trading between goods wasn't uh, sufficient for um an advanced economy because so he gave one of the earliest accounts of the origins of money as people became dependent on others so they exported their surplus production to neighbors and imported the rest of all the other goods they didn't so that's like economy economics on such a small scale he wrote about the necessity of money as a universal medium of exchange whilst also introducing the use of money as a means of deferred payment so two of the main four functions of money in society today he introduced in 350 bc which is quite impressive considering money wasn't even a thing but um yeah it was quite interesting to know about how this man came up with the idea of money and just before that it was just bartering and that you would trade so someone might have eggs someone might have chicken well actually you'd have both but someone might have eggs someone might have milk um and there would just be a trading price between them so four eggs would be worth two liters of milk but bef- this obviously couldn't be applicable if someone wanted to buy a house you couldn't just give him 500 eggs because what would he do with that so his role on economics today is undoubtedly huge and um without him we don't know what could have happened yeah i think um the, the idea behind what he does is taken for granted um because without him um well it's just allowed us to develop as a global economy yeah because a lot of people when you say economics they think economics started in the 17th 18th centuries with um as we'll talk about later Adam Smith and Karl Marx communist versus capitalist but it before that there still needed to be economics to keep the market yeah, going. Yeah. yeah and um i think early economists are often disregarded completely anything before the 17th and 18th century but before that there was still market domestic markets commonplace there was imperialism across the globe which meant there were overseas trades there were trade routes from china to the uk from the new world to the uk so it's um very unfeasible to think that economics started when 
Adam Smith introduced capitalism and Karl Marx introduced communism in basic terms. And I think we can move on to Karl Marx and his role. Because Karl Marx, a German philosopher, he signalled all his ideas in the Communist Manifesto in 1848. He believed that communism was inevitable and it was the inevitable end to an economic evolution phase which would pass through stages of capitalism and socialism. So he um, he thought that the proletariat, which are like the lower classes, would um, one day drive history and revolt against the bourgeois, which is another word for the upper classes. Um, and that's his view of Marxist historiography, that the proletariat would drive history on until... They overthrow the bourgeois, and we. Oh God, I probably butchered that pronunciation, but um, till they overthrow it, and we would live in a classless communist society. So yeah, when I mean, when were most of his ideas? So he was a nineteenth-century economist. So, but a good argument against him and his ideas. So he thought his ideas were based on the. 19th century structure or early 19th century the middle class did emerge as a structure but that it was just upper class versus lower class and it was just the rich capitalists versus the lower class working classes which is clearly not the case in society and I mean yeah there's his ideas became outdated very quickly and had to be adapted in the 20th and 21st century as um, the emerging middle class of came about with the um, emergence of the Industrial Revolution. So, um, I mean, Karl Marx, his idea, what do you think about his ideas? That Well, I'm, I'm no uh, expert on it all, but I know you're particularly interested in history. So how do you think this relates to the Cold War? Because I know there's, there must be some sort of ideologies that have continued... Well, yeah, uh, Karl Marx is idea. So when the Cold War began, arguably the origins can be traced back to the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917, where so Russian, it used to be a monarchy. I don't know if you knew this. So Russia used to be a monarchy and it used to have be for 600 years, there was a czar. A czar, yeah. Yeah, and it was the Romanov dynasty, so that's like the family, such as Windsor we have today. But, um, so, Lenin, do you know who Lenin is? Um, no, you've got to tell me. Lenin, so he's a Russian leader. Um, uh, he's a key economist as well. He built on Marxist ideas, and his ideas were that communism would rule and create the Soviet Union Um, and this came to a head when the capitalist United States went up against the communist Soviet Union in 1945 and that was basically the Cold War was just the 20th century adaptation of the Karl Marx versus Adam Smith arguments in the form of the two biggest countries in the UK not in the UK on the globe yeah in the world yeah so he had mixed views on capitalists, Karl Marx. So it's 
it would be unfair to say he hates capitalism. That's not the case. He had mixed views. He saw them as revolutionary and progressive. However, he also noted that capitalism led to social alienation and recurring cyclical depressions, which resulted in mass unemployment, which, I mean, you can see. In yeah, you could say that still um, around today. I think that's why um, nations like the UK were drawing more into the centre. Yeah. Um, that's extremists. Definitely. We're becoming, whereas it used to be seen as progressive to be completely capitalist, I think there is a balance you need between capitalism and com- communism for right now to have the most effective society. And I think one thing will see in the future is this becoming more communist and because the problem problems with communism is that resources can't be allocated efficiently which the market does in capitalism but as technology evolves um some say we're in the fourth industrial revolution right now the digital industrial revolution it's like the idea of globalization as well yeah it's to do with globalization although as we've discussed in earlier topics, globalisation is um, on the decline at the moment, mm-hmm. could argue. It's a debate. If anyone listening, if you um, want to go back and check that out in one of our previous podcasts, we spoke about that in our income inequality podcast. Yeah, more and more countries are turning away from globalisation, like rejecting it, like uh, in North Korea's and you, you could say China's. Although they, although they do obviously um, have a very export-led economy. But then I think there's also the example of Venezuela, who are also uh, turning it down, going against uh, the idea of Americanization, which lots of South American countries have given into. Yeah, I mean, like, for Brazil, you can say, Brazil's largest export is soybeans, which... Soybeans, would, would you say? Soy, soybeans. Right. So that's not going to be rational in a domesticated economy, is it? Globalization allows that them to exploit their comparative advantage and utilize that to produce all most of the world's soybeans. Brazil, Argentina, and the United States produce almost all of the world's soybeans. So because of globalization, countries become can become specialized. Um, yeah, and yeah, that that helps everyone really. But I mean, I think that's we're getting. We're getting have track, aren't we? a degree of globalization. We could because talk if not, then you're paying more for certain things. Certain things you also just can't even get. So yeah, so their comparative advantage. Yeah, um, we are getting off track. I've comp- I forgot what we were talking about. So Karl Marx. I don't know how we've gone from Karl Marx to soybeans, but we have done. So he said, capitalists capitalists. So in the olden days, anyone called a capitalist were the rich aristocrats he said they were vampires sucking workers blood which displays his communist thinking that everyone should be equal and that the capitalists were just taking the profits that the workers worked hard for so and using that to fund capitalism but so we've spoken about the communist side of things um do you want to introduce us to the capitalist side of things and adam smith and his ideas yeah, so obviously Adam Smith was a key driver in capitalism um, with his right-wing views. Um, he's, um, I'll start with a bit of background about him. Yeah. So he was around the 18th century, 
Um, and he's best known for his books, um, which... Um, pardon? The Wealth of Nations. Yes, Nature and Cause of the Wealth of Nations. Um, and that's just where his uh, ideas stem from. Um, so basically, he created the concept of G- GDP. Mm. Um, uh, he also, like, so according to his theory, uh, dangerous or undesirable jobs tend to pay higher wages, um, obviously as like a way of attracting workers into positions, because we need to allocate workers into different um, yep. positions, which is also still seen to with like supply side policies um, by the government into like training into certain jobs with like the global shift and stuff. Yeah. Um, he had the idea of the invisible hand of the free market, um, which uh, keeps the economy on course. He taught yeah. that the good or service is worth the value of labour that went into it, neither more or less. The, the idea that the market mechanism that we're so familiar with today will allocate resources in an economy more efficiently than um, any government Yeah, which is, um, that idea is completely prominent today and that market's driven by profits. To get the most profits, resources will be allocated as efficiently as possible. Yeah, so capitalism um, relies on the idea that inequality incentivizes uh, people to work hard and take risks to succeed. Yeah. Um, obviously going against what you were saying about with Marx. Yeah, Marxism, complete opposite, that everyone should be equal, yeah. which is a theory and it remains a theory because when it has been put into practice, um, it hasn't worked. There were 42 um, communist countries in the 20th century, only five remain today, which shows that and the mo- majority have take Adam Smith's laissez-faire thinking into mm-hmm. especially over Marxism yeah well, I think it's, uh, it's it's crucial that countries that are find like the middle ground like sitting on the fence almost yeah and I think that shows the development of nations if you compare that to 100 years ago where it was either capitalism or communism and both saw the other as external evils whereas yeah, now I think 100 years time will probably be uh, well, we won't, but uh, yeah. on the next uh, generations will be um, looking back and maybe discussing how crazy what we're doing now was. Yeah, it's yeah, it's amazing to think what history will be, what history will see us as like, and the things that we should be should have done that we do in the nineteenth century. I think the time now with the COVID pandemic that will be. It's definitely going to play a uh, play a bigger uh, factor. I mean, there's going to be children learning about it in their history classrooms in 500 years. Yeah. Well, who knows what will happen in 500 years? There might not be classrooms. <laughs> well, the changes that we've got now. Um, I think yeah. some things are happening at the moment. It uh, begs the question whether that should carry on. I think there are certainly some things that yeah. will remain constant. With the capitalism and communism. Yeah, so Adam Smith. And another big factor of Adam Smith's importance is the way the volume of theories he has inspired, not directly himself, but his ideas have led to countless economists um, who just 
who've just taken their ideas from him and adapted them to modern day scenarios. And I think any free market economist, elements of their ideas and theories come from Adam Smith, like undoubtedly so. And um, so, for example, one very prominent one is Milton Friedman, um, a laissez-faire economist who built upon Adam Smith's ideas. So he's he introduced modern currency trading, so forex trading, where you trade between currencies, which obviously led to rises in globalization. Um, his ideas were the basis of the idea that um, indirect taxes, which are on consumption taxes rather than direct taxes on wealth and income. So showing more um, free market thinking that you shouldn't tax people because they've achieved and they've um, worked hard to get loads of capital, whereas um, others should just be given handouts by the state. Um, he believed capitalism would benefit all countries, even totalitarian regimes, such as, well, when he was around, such as Hitler, like that, or in nowadays, although less direct, the Belarus, in Belarus, the elections have been fixed, massively, and it's shocking that that's still going on in 2020. Um, and he was also key in he was adamant that there was a link between money supply and inflation, which is obviously a key concept today, that when money supply increases, money's money's worth less, which is the idea of hyperinflation. And I think if people knew this 100 years ago, the Weimar Germany hyperinflation crash would never have happened. Mm -hmm. But also arguing that, that it's still happening in Venezuela, that um, they're still printing off money and bread is worth billions of... I'm not sure what their currency is, but it's worth billions. So he was adamant about that link. And this was also key. We can see it in the UK right now. Yeah, of a link between money supply and inflation um, leads to quantitative easing, that um, as you increase money supply, prices will go down. Um, and consumption and stimulation consumption will be stimulated investment will be stimulated and business and consumer confidence will increase so i think he's really important and he is a great example of someone building upon adam smith's ideas that um that about the free market thinking i think it is key to point out that um everything does come from adam smith um, because obviously as well changes like new ideas have to be implemented yeah and I think on the other side of the coin most communist ideas come from uh, adaptations of Marxism yeah for sure so um, I mean we can argue all day about all different economists but they will not all I'm sure there are a few outliers but they're all adaptations of Adam Smith or Karl Marx, the idea of communism versus capitalism. And unless you're talking about pre those two, like we did with Aristotle. Um, Moving on from Friedman, one really key player is 
um, David Ricardo. So he, I'll talk a bit about his backstory because it's quite interesting. So he came from a family of 17 children, a Jewish Portuguese family. That's uh, 14 more than me. Well, look at you. <laughs> um, so 17 children, which is impressive. So he used to work with his dad in the stocks and trades um, in Britain. So um, he was actually inspired, another example, he was inspired after reading Adam Smith's Adam um, Adam Smith's The Wealth of Nations book, which is just such a key book. I mean, you can't undermine how important that is because that's, that's given countries today their ideologies and what they um, what they focus their economy on. So he became an MP in 1819 and argued this is his first example of practical use of economics. So do you know what the Corn Laws were? The Corn Laws, no. So the Corn Laws were an early example of government intervention, a minimum price tool on agriculture designed to keep grain prices high and favour domestic producers, which is representing a domestic producers i must say over um international producers so trying to stop the flow of globalization and favor domestic producers um which as we know today isn't how things work and people didn't really really realize this at this time but david ricardo did that because of this um grain prices were going up because there were cheap grain which could be imported from abroad but government added such big tariffs through the corn laws that um people had to use the domestic grain and this represented british mercantilism so that is the theory that we should maximize um exports and minimize imports to make the economy as great as possible. Retaining money in the of income. Exactly, and adding fr- more through um, exports, which is key. Some countries still proceed with that, but you have to, that hasn't worked in history for all cases. There are many more variables, such as Japan. Do you, you know about the crisis in Japan? So they have massive current account surpluses, right. but um, it they still go through struggles like the rest of us with current account deficits. Okay. Um, so anyway, on Ricardo, his campaign against the Corn Laws grew and actually resulted in success in 1846 where the Corn Laws were repealed. Okay. Um, additionally, he was a vocal believer in specialisation and heavily against protectionism. He believed nations should utilise their comparative advantage, which is what we were talking about, that um, produce what you're best at producing, that basic idea. He was an early believer of that. No, I think that's a very good point. Yeah, and he was vocal about this, and he made people aware in a time where people weren't aware of the economics. He was one of the first to do this. I think it's something that could be used today. Um, with uh, utilising 
like resources within the country because it's like something that could still be uh, it could still be quite implemented uh, to encourage uh, spending within the country, which would definitely happen because of coronavirus. It's not even raw, raw resources; it's um, like services as well. Yeah, goods and services. Um, yeah. Um, one thing he did on the macroeconomic side of things, one key conceptualization he introduced was I'm not sure if you've heard of Ricardian equivalence. No. So it states that debt finance governments will be ineffective, so current account deficits. So, like Britain are today, he says they'll be ineffective because consumers and investors understand that this debt will have to be paid back in taxes so you can take out all the money you want to try and boost the economy but people will know that this money is going to have to be paid back in the future in taxes so it's not going to stimulate the economy because confidence isn't going to rise because people know you even if they spend from all this newcom wealth and infrastructure and capital spending by government um it will have to be paid back you can't just not pay it back yeah pay back the money so it undermines the goal to stimulate the economy which is quite um an important idea and that's what's happening now with the public expenditures uh reaching like new record heights over and after to recover from the recession that we're currently in exactly it's so prominent right now um people aren't spending even though the government are spending so much like unreal amounts UK government debt is now at two trillion pounds, mm-hmm. which is just and that money's got to come from somewhere. Yeah, well, they can't. They're maintaining a current account deficit, but their initial goal was actually to half the national debt. But because of COVID, yeah. no, I think it's going to take tens of years to. It's like we were just coming out of the exactly. period of austerity from twelve years ago, and yeah. this is much worse than that. What we're currently in now. The whole economy has been shut down. So for a month now, on three, four months, four, which is a third of a year where the economy just isn't operating. It's just crazy to think about. Um, so he undermines, we'll get onto this later, but he undermines the Keynesian notion that deficit spending can boost economic performance. So, um, yeah, we'll speak about that a bit later. Oh. Well, going back to that, just for one last point, um, Rishi Sunak today at 12.30 uh, had a speech on what's going to happen to public expenditure. Um, and so it's uh, been said that healthcare spending is obviously going up with the um, prospect of a vaccine coming. Um, yeah. And defences, the spending on defences is increasing, um, which your, your left-wingers are obviously fuming about. Um because you could argue that money is not really going into much. Um, and then you've got your public workers, so your teachers, etc. Um, money's getting frozen um, as private school teachers are going down, obviously because of the less demand in, in the current times. Um, so to combat this, uh, teachers in state-owned schools uh, the weight has been frozen. Yeah, so we're showing that this is prominent, and we're going relating back to our question. 
we're seeing Ricardo as an influential economist on modern day society because he's still so key today. We're seeing it today, this morning, with Rishi Sunak's um, speech and announcement. He's saying he's going to cut back development spending by 0.5% of national income. That's massive for other countries. But, um, you know, we are one of only, like, four countries who actually match the development spending, which we're meant to do. Mm. I don't know. There's different opinions on that, whether we should be proud as a country to be helping others or we should be focusing on our own people when national debt is booming. I mean, it's what the stance you take. Yeah, well, um, overseas aid is being uh, decreased now as we, I think we are starting to focus on ourselves more now. Exactly. So, yeah, it's prominent today. Um, Who should we move on to now? We can talk about Alfred Marshall, I think. Alfred Marshall and Keynes. We'll just we'll briefly go through them. Because... Yeah, it's quite a long episode, nearly a half an hour. Yeah, so we'll just briefly go through. So Alfred Marshall, he was key in attempting to apply rigorous mathematics to economics. So before him, so he was a key in around 1870s, 1880s. That's when he first came to the light. Um, and he turned, he attempted to turn economics more into a social science over a philosophy, which it is in Marxist terms. So he, in simple terms, he added maths to economics. Of course, there was still maths, but he showed maths and data. So he actually introduced the graphical form of the demand and supply curves to illustrate economic equilibrium. So... That's something we still learn about today. We learn about that in school. So you can see his impact. And he also made the distinction between internal and external economies of scale. So how some benefits come about from an industry growing bigger and some benefits coming about from a firm becoming bigger. But um, And Keynes' ideas, you were telling me, were actually inspired by him. Yeah, so his... Uh... Alfred Marshall's supply and demand curves were the basis of much of Keynes's work. Yeah. Um, Keynes is remembered for advocating government spending and using monetary policy to lessen the adverse effects of economic recessions, yeah. which is obviously, as we we're literally just saying, is what's happening now. So I think it's important to note that everything we've been talking about is always, is still being used today, uh, which obviously why we study them, etc. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and going back to his bit against Ricardo, so Keynes actually believed the Keynesian notion is that deficits spending should be higher during deficits to boost economic performance, which the theory of Ricardian equ- equivalence undermines completely. And so, well, if you look at um, government spending and uh, economic growth in the UK over like the last 20 years, it's clear to see that when there's booms and busts, it's corresponding like inversely to government spending. Yeah, exactly. But at the moment, you can say we're in a deficit. The UK spending has increased to levels it's never been at before. Yeah, exactly. So um, they're clearly taking a Keynesian notion at the moment over the theory of Ricardian equivalence. Okay, so 
I think we've discussed some of the key candidates for who is the most for the question who is the most influential economist on modern day economics so do you have a um an answer to this question who you well, think i would argue that it's not first of all aristotle um because i think it's just something that was inevitable to be honest i think it always uh, happened as like trading in greece and stuff exactly um, i definitely agree maybe it would have happened later and um economic economics wouldn't have advanced as quickly but yeah a hundred percent i agree this would have happened money would have been invented i think it's theories from adam smith and karl marx which are most important because that's just what everything's based on now as you got you got both sides of the argument and uh, coming together exactly i don't want to go to the boring answer which is just adam smith and karl marx but mm. impossible to argue against them when everything is based on those two those two men and their ideas it's just influenced everything in modern society so who out of those two i guess who do you think is the most important i'm gonna say adam smith yeah why is that um well the reason behind it or just the amount of volume of economists he's inspired i think it is what he's inspired and it's the way history is like over recently he's like panned out yeah it's more than just his idea of the invisible hand because that was the key thing he made and you could argue i would argue that more economists even ricardo he achieved more than that with specialization protectionism he was against protectionism um, and the concept of Ricardian equi- equivalence. Um, but that came from Adam Smith's ideas. Alfred Marshall, inspired by Adam Smith's ideas. Milton Friedman, inspired by Adam Smith's ideas. Keynes, inspired by Adam Smith's ideas. Then there's even more who we haven't even discussed. Hayek, Dambisa, Moyo. There are so many people that... Um, have just without Adam Smith their ideas just wouldn't be here today so yeah um, I think I am going to agree with you on that that Adam Smith is the most important one and the most influential one although you can't undermine although there are only five communist countries in the world Karl Marx has played a massive importance on society today and at the moment we can clearly see countries are trying to get the balance of both ideas as we were talking as countries become more mixed economies it's rather than just i we like adam smith we like karl marx mm-hmm. it's the balance in between and that will be important views are on this topic yeah also one thing i'd like to say i think karl marx will become his ideas will become even more important because the problem with communism is that government can't as much as they try they can't allocate resources perfectly it's it's impossible to do but with advancements in technology this will improve and i really think that in the future communism could come back and be key with the advancements in technology and i think it will in certain countries and
unfortunately, I don't think we'll be here to see what the consequences will be. I think we'll be longer. But, <laughs> yeah, it's not a good note to end. But, uh, I mean, we'll finish, we'll wrap it up there. Um, we'd love for you to email us and get involved. Well, I'm sure they won't let us down. Yep, so um, our email is it's everything econ podcast at gmail.com. So please get in touch. Um, we'd love to hear what you've got to say. So, um, and also email us about any future um, podcasts you'd like us to film. And thanks. Who, who gave us this idea? Was it Liam Bradley 7? I think it was, yeah. Okay, brilliant. Thanks, Liam Bradley 7, for the idea. Thanks, Liam. Not me.